Good morning. From the newsroom of the Financial Times, today is Thursday, November 15th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Today, we'll be looking at a slower revenue growth for Uber, the inventor of American blue jeans return to Wall Street, and a potential shortage of natural gas for a cold winter. Then, the FT's editorial director Robert Shrimsley was in the House of Commons for British Prime Minister Theresa May's victory on a Brexit withdrawal treaty. He'll tell us what we can expect next. I'm Eric Krupke, and here's the news you need to start your day. Uber narrowed its net loss to $1 billion in the last quarter, but the pace of revenue growth has also slowed down. That's mostly due to competition in its main ride-hailing business. Net revenue was $2.95 billion, which was 38% higher than a year ago. But that's a deceleration of the pace of growth from the previous quarter, when it reported a 63% annual growth rate. The group is affected by the changing mix of its business into food delivery and freight, plus electric bike and scooter sharing. It's spending heavily to build out those businesses. Uber's preparing to go public next year in an offering that could value the company at more than $100 billion. But Chief Executive Dara Khosrowshahi said because of that spending, Uber won't be profitable before going public. And the inventor of American blue jeans is looking to join Uber on Wall Street. Levi Strauss plans to raise between $600 and $800 million in an initial public offering. According to people with knowledge of the plan, that would value the company at more than $5 billion. Levi is aiming for the first quarter of 2019 for its IPO. Its products are sold in more than 110 countries, and it reported almost $5 billion of revenue for its 2017 fiscal year. That's an increase of 8%. The company originally went public back in 1971, but it was taken private again by descendants of the family behind the original 1873 patent. And U.S. natural gas prices had their biggest one-day gain in eight years on Wednesday. Prices rose 18%, and it reflects worries that winter heating demand might rely on stocks of U.S. gas in storage. That gas now sits at 3.2 trillion cubic feet, the lowest in more than a decade for this time of year. Meteorologists are now predicting a cold December, and parts of the country are already experiencing freezing temperatures. Last winter depleted gas stocks, and then a hot summer required more gas to meet air conditioning demand. And here's something you might want to know more about. Let's have a listen in. Here is Theresa May. Let's see what she has to say. Prime Minister Theresa May held a marathon cabinet meeting on Wednesday to try to get support for her Brexit withdrawal treaty. The meeting ran hours longer than expected, and tensions were high. But she finally emerged Wednesday night to announce her victory. The collective decision of Cabinet was that the government should agree the draft withdrawal agreement and the outline political declaration. This is a decisive step which enables us to move on and finalise the deal in the days ahead. The FT's editorial director and UK political columnist Robert Shrimsley was in the House of Commons when the announcement came. And he's here now to tell us what we can expect next. The headline fact is markets, businesses will be hugely relieved that the cabinet has approved this this deal so far. It means it's moving forward. It means the chances of the UK crashing out the European Union are less. 
But on the other hand, everybody knows that it really comes down to whether Theresa May can carry this through Parliament. The difficulty she had persuading her own cabinet would not make anybody feel tremendously reassured. And there are still some really, really huge hurdles ahead. What do you know about what happened in the cabinet meeting? This had been seen as a two-hour meeting. She briefed some of the most reluctant members overnight and in the morning. It was meant to be a relatively straightforward meeting, lasting a couple of hours. In the end, it lasted five hours. It was clearly very bad-tempered in parts. She said at the end that the cabinet had reached a collective position as opposed to a unanimous position. And we know there were several cabinet ministers who, in the meeting, expressed very, very grave doubts and who might easily choose to resign in the next day or two. So it's an indication of just how much trouble the Prime Minister could have carrying this measure through the Houses of Parliament. What are the next steps here? She's got around a month now to try to pull her own MPs and anybody else who might be tempted to vote for it into line, but it looks very, very tight indeed. Tell us a little bit more about that math. What are some of the parties saying? So, I mean, as you know, this is not a majority government. She doesn't actually have a majority in her own right. She relies on the support of the Democratic Unionists, the Ulster Unionists, and they are one of the groups who are very unhappy with what they've seen of this treaty so far. They think it weakens the bonds between Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom and could put Northern Ireland under European Union law when the rest of the United Kingdom is not. So they're very problematic. She has Brexit hardliners probably 40 to 50 of them who are very, very angry at this treaty, think far too much power has been given away to Brussels and that actually, far from taking back control, the UK will now be what they call a vassal state, taking orders but having no control over the regulations passed by the European Union. They're very unhappy about this. And then on the other side of the equation, you've got maybe 10 or 11 really pro-European members of the Conservative Party who are deeply unhappy about leaving the European Union at all. Some of them want to support the idea of campaigning for a second referendum, asking the British people to vote again. Ranged against them, you have all the opposition parties who basically hate this deal and who will happily vote against it, certainly at the first time of asking. So one of the ideas that's been talked about is that maybe she loses the first time and we have something rather like you had in the US Congress with the TARP vote after the financial crisis where it's voted down the first time and the reaction is so adverse that MPs are then frightened supporting it a second time. But she definitely has real problems getting the numbers. Tell us a little bit more about the prospect of a second referendum. The second referendum is an idea that's gained ground over recent months. It certainly is something that has a lot of support, especially on the Labour Party side, on the pro-European side. Around 700,000 people marched in London not all that long ago to support this idea. As it stands, it probably doesn't quite have enough support to win in the House of Commons, but it could get there the more people think that this deal is going to be voted down. One of the successes that Theresa May has had up to now is that she has framed the choice for Parliament and for the British people as being a choice between her deal and no deal, in which case the UK crashes out of the European Union with many, many adverse consequences. What the People's Vote campaigns are trying to say is actually there is another choice here. You can vote to ask the public again. Now that they know what Brexit really, really means, are they still so keen on the idea? Do we know anything more about what is actually in the treaty? Yeah, the treaty's been, the, the document's been published. It's 560 pages long, so you'll understand I haven't read them yet. We've, we've seen the draft outline and the key points. Most of it is very much what we would have expected. And we also have accompanying it a political declaration which sets some sense of what the future relationship will be because one of the things you have to remember is that the withdrawal agreement, which is the treaty, only sets out what's happening 
when Britain leaves and creates a transition period of just under two years for the future relationship to be negotiated. So the political declaration sets out a future relationship. It's got a lot of nice words about the things that Britain would like, very, very close relationship on goods and trade, um, you know, zero tariffs, that kind of thing, frictionless trade, some equivalence on financial services, which is something but not as much as I think the UK would have liked. And discussion of other matters like common fisheries policy and how you can agree to terms around the UK's coastal waters. So there's a lot of of meat in there, a lot of stuff that the UK will like. On the other hand, it doesn't carry that much legal weight. So it's just an indication of direction. And today on the site, we'll continue to cover Brexit updates. Make sure you log on to FT.com to read more. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for all the latest business news. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.